This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Ten-minute misconducts for all of you. Listening in Calgary, Vancouver, Toronto, Halifax, watching on 360. Listening on your favorite podcast, whatever that is, platform. Ten-minute misconducts for all of you today. Yeah, we're talking about Garrett Rank. (laughs) One of the best calls we've ever heard an official make in the NHL. And one of the wildest games we've seen of recent note in the NHL. Probably it's the wildest game since uh, the Florida Panthers and the Ottawa Senators last year. When there was 166 penalty minutes. This year, 167. That was a wild one last night. Uh, But those aren't the headlines today quite yet. Although we will get to them. We'll get to a wild night last night around the NHL. uh, Led by Kachuk v. Kachuk. Starring Brady and Matthew's grandma. I love the cutaways to grandma. I'm a sucker for the cutaways to Keith Kachuk, always. But I'm a real sucker for the cutaways to Grandma Kachuk. And those were chef's kiss a Picasso last night. Well done. Uh, a lot of action around the NHL last night. A wild one. Well, a wild overtime, anyhow, between the Calgary Flames and the Vegas Golden Knights. We'll get there. And was that a pick by Michael Backlund and Alex Petrangelo? Discuss amongst yourselves. Vegas Golden Knights fans saying, absolutely. Calgary Flames fans saying, pick what pick? It was a beautiful rush by Mackenzie Weger. What are you talking about, Mara? Carry on. Two points. Take it and run. So here's your headline. Patrick Kane is now a member of the surprise, surprise Detroit Red Wings. As we've been talking about over the past couple of days specifically, uh, Kane doing a lot of research into the Detroit Red Wings. And now the Red Wings take another Chicago Blackhawk. From Alex DeBrinkett, one former Blackhawk, not enough. We'll take two. Patrick Kane right this way. Uh, it's the one-year deal. It's uh, $2.75 million, So when you factor in how much time he's missed so far, it looks like he'll stick about $2 bucks uh, in his jeans and will have to surrender some money, uh, a watch, something for number 88, which is currently occupied by the great Daniel Sprong. So who wins this trade? Detroit wins this trade, or not trade. Who wins this signing? Detroit wins this signing, and Daniel Sprong wins this one as well. Now, the headline story of the day before the Patrick Kane news broke this morning was going to be the dismissal of Dean Evason as the head coach of the Minnesota Wild. Bob Woods goes as well. John Hines comes in as the new bench boss. Minnesota, as we know, uh, has lost 13 out of their last 16 and seven in a row of the last uh, seven games, 0-5 and 2. The final nail in the coffin, the 4-1 loss against the aforementioned Detroit Red Wings on Sunday afternoon. 4-1 was the final, and we heard players, most notably Patrick Maroon, not too pleased about the state of affairs in the state of hockey with the Minnesota Wild. Now, ignoring the $15 million salary cap hole that the Minnesota Wild are skating with, ignoring the fact that they, to be blunt, are not getting goaltending, Philip Gustafson, 881 save percentage. Marc-Andre Fleury, 875 save percentage. Ignoring the goaltending. Uh, also ignoring the fact that, um, with all due respect to the centers that are there, there are no elite-level centers, specifically first-line centers. That is a area of weakness for the Minnesota Wild. So when you put aside the fact that they have a salary cap hole of $15 million, no goaltending to write home about, and... Uh, a dearth of legitimate centers down the middle, then clearly it's all Dean Evison's fault. 
And we'll get into Minnesota here with Mike Russo coming up at the bottom of the hour from The Athletic. And I, for one, I'm going to miss the the facial expressions of Dean Evason. And I don't know about you, but I love playing the lip-reading game amongst coaches after questionable calls. I'm really going to miss that about Dean Evason. We'll get into this with Russo at the bottom of the hour. Friedman is traveling. He's off to Calgary for a couple of days. Uh, so he'll rejoin us on Thursday. In the meantime, in his place today, we'll talk about the headline story of the day, and that is Patrick Kane joining the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, Max Boltman writes about the Red Wings for The Athletic, and he joins me now. Max, how are you? I'm doing great, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Uh, the pleasure is mine. Listen, um, on a scale of 1 to 10, how much of a surprise, considering how much momentum this had gathered in the past five or six, maybe seven days, uh, how surprised were you to find out that Patrick Kane this morning is a Detroit Red Wing? Yeah, not hugely surprised, as you had mentioned, you know, a little bit of noise around this one for the last, you know, week plus or so. But what surprises me is that the Red Wings got themselves into a position to really do this. And, and we heard the whole way through, right, about how Patrick Kane wanted to go to a team that he could win on. And when the Red Wings were coming back from the Global yep. Series, they did not really look like that, right? And so uh, for them to get back on yeah. track, some of the wins they put off New Jersey, Boston, and then obviously uh, th- this week over Minnesota, um, I, I think that probably did, uh, you know, kind of show that final little step that the Red Wings are a team that can at least make a playoff push. What's this going to do for the marketplace specifically? I mean, listen, Red Wings fans are, you know, uh, year after year getting more and more excited at the idea that their team's going to finally qualify for the playoffs this year, despite the Global Series, as you mentioned, in Stockholm, which didn't go swimmingly. I mean, this year has been more than okay for the Detroit Red Wings, and, you know, they find themselves in a real nice spot and still looking upwards. What is this going to do to the fan base in Detroit, Max? Yeah, I think what it does, I think it validates a little bit of, of what they would like to believe about their team, right? Like you, you go through the early season of an NHL and how often yeah. is there a team? You know, it's a quarter mark that, that looks like, oh, this might be the year. How many times do we see it with Buffalo? And, and it just kind of comes back down to earth. What I think this is, is a player of Patrick Kane's stature, you know, throwing his hat in with these guys. I think it does tell certainly the fan base, and I'd imagine the locker room too, um, that people outside believe kind of the same things that they would like to believe about themselves and their team. And, and I think that does matter. Yeah, I, I really think it does, too. You know, there, there are those moments where your organization gets a sort of credibility shot in the arm. And it seems as if, you know, Elliot was Elliot and I were talking about this not too long ago, and we were comparing the Detroit Red Wings to the Los Angeles Kings in some ways, where it seemed as if, okay, we're going to go for the rebuild here, and then after, I don't know, a year, year and a half, two years, you know, in the L.A. Kings, uh, uh, in the LA Kings uh, uh, example, it was Anse Kopitar and uh, Drew Doughty essentially saying, okay, enough of this rebuild, let's bring in some players. And doesn't it kind of feel the same way here with Detroit? You know, they were going through the rebuild. It was going slowly. And then I don't know if it was orders from above Steve Eiserman, But all of a sudden, the, the, the mantra around Detroit was, we're not going to wait for the green bananas. We're going to start signing players and putting them on the roster ASAP at all three positions. Does it feel that way to you that this is somehow or some way sort of the uh, Los Angeles East and that's what we're seeing in Detroit. Yeah, I heard that episode and and when I heard it I uh, it kind of caught me at first. I hadn't thought of it in those terms, but I think it, it's a great <laughs> point that you have these two teams that had these, you know, really hyped farm systems that maybe just going along a little slower. And I think through the Red Wings you're not, you know, saying, oh, the, the prospects aren't going to be there, but they're just not ready yet in most cases. You know, you look at a guy like Marco Casper, who I thought might have a chance to, 
make some noise this year. He, he clearly yeah. looks like he's going to need time in the age. Crowded blue line. So long way thing. Yes, I, I agree with you. Yeah. Um, okay, so curious now about where Patrick Kane fits in all of this mix. Um, you know, I think we're all wondering, you know, who's he going to play with? Is it going to be Larkin? Is it going to be Comfer? Where is he going to go? Do you have any sort of spider sense of, you know, where, where New Zealand alone is going gonna, is gonna to use uh, Patrick Kane here? I think all of us would like to see him reunited with Alex Dabrinkit, right? That's the fun storyline, and it's it's very possible. Sure. Uh, you know, Dabrinkit's been playing on Comfer's line, and so I, I could see that being a pretty useful trio. I'm I'm going to walk into the practice building right after I hang up with you and maybe get a little better look at how they're using Alex Dabrinkit in practice today. Certainly talk to Jared Holton about uh, if he's willing to talk yet. I don't think the team still announced this move yet. Um, but, you know, about what, yeah. what they see yeah. and what they plan. But I think that's the exciting option here, right? Especially because they have split up Alex Dabrinkit and Dylan Larkin lately and, and Lucas Raymond, for that matter. If you put Patrick Kane kind of opposite Alex Dabrinkit, all of a sudden you have these two legit scoring lines in the top six. And the Red Wings have been a team built on depth. I think it's worked for them so far. they got the fourth most goals per game in the NHL. But they don't have a guy who's got that kind of in-a-given-moment dynamism that Patrick Kane has. And to have that sure. on multiple lines, I think, would go a long way for them. You know, the most recent headlines about uh, hip issues revolves around a couple of players. John Klingberg with the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, Nicholas Backstrom uh, with the Washington Capitals. You know, I, I do wonder about the Dallas Stars and, and how much, you know, how much Dallas, you know, having gone through what they went through with Tyler Sagan and Jamie Benn, how much they might have been sort of, you know, come here, go away, come here, go away with Patrick Kane. We've been through hip issues before, and it took Sagan and Ben a couple of years to get back to where they were previous. Uh, how much of a concern, whether it's the organization or how much skepticism, Max, do you have about a player coming off of surgery like this? I do have some. Uh, obviously, the, the, the precedent is, is that it's going to be tough, and I subscribe kind of to the idea that special players can kind of defy logic a little bit with this stuff, but I also kind of most importantly, mm-hmm. I think it's the position here with Patrick Kane. We're not talking about a defenseman like John Klingberg, who the feet really pop a ton when they're not there, right? When the legs, when they're not there. Even Tyler Sagan, I think we've seen him have some success when he's on the wing. And so, um, I, to me, the, the fact that he's playing on the wing mitigates it a little, but it's, of course, going to be a factor. And, and you know, someone made the point to me this morning, um, just in, in the comments on one of my stories, you know, his, his edge work is such an important thing to his game. And what does he look like if yeah. that is, you know, even 10, 15% off. And I think that's the biggest thing to watch. You know, we know for uh, for the longest time, uh, the, the Chicago Blackhawks and the Detroit Red Wings, mortal enemies. We know how Kane and Taves and everybody, Seabrook, Keith, were, were treated when they, when they traveled to Detroit, whether it was outdoor games, whether it was league play. Like, these two teams did not get along and did not like each other. What do you think the reception is going to be like for Patrick Kane in Detroit? Yeah, I, I think uh, the fans will have mixed feelings, I think, at first. I think, uh, obviously, a lot of long <laughs> memories in, 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 in the bleachers, right? But in time, I think, you know, yeah. it's only going to take until he makes those first play or two that they're like, okay, uh, this guy's with us now. And yeah. I think that's usually how it goes. Uh, let me finish up by talking about the Red Wings proper uh, outside of Patrick Kane. And, you know, the, the story since coming back from Sweden has been Alex Lyon. 
uh, whether it's a shutout against New Jersey, whether it's, you know, the final nail in the coffin he put in Dean Evison's um, uh, coaching situation with Minnesota. Alex Lyon's been fantastic, uh, albeit it's only been three games. I'm not going to try to get ahead of myself here, but, you know, it's tough not to get that, as we call it, soap and warm water feeling about Lyon, not unlike they had towards the stretch drive of last season for the Florida Panthers. Uh, do you have a thought or two on Alex Lyon here with the Detroit Red Wings organization? He's been great. Similar to you, trying to, to not get ahead of myself here because I watched these last couple of games. I think it's like 53 out of 54 in the last two games that he stopped. And in the most recent yeah. one against Minnesota, there yeah. was a ton of volume there, right? And so given the, the way that it came into the season, it seemed like Vili Husso was in line for 50-plus starts. He hasn't really been sharp. You know, He was good in the, his last outing against Boston. I do think there's an opportunity here. Now, I'm not ready to go there yet, but if Alex Lyon stays hot for his next two or three starts... You know, he's, got, he's not that much older than Vili Husso. He's got the same amount of term left on his deal. Could he make a push for a, a yeah. decent chunk of that net? That is something I'm really watching really closely because, as you mentioned, he's been excellent. Okay, so as Patrick Kane enters, here becomes the question. We'll end on this one, Max. Who exits? Like, everybody is going to be very excited about this in Detroit except for one player. Who is that one player? I know, and it, it, what's fascinating is that Entering today, they were only carrying 22 on the roster. And so you didn't think, okay, someone's definitely out. And then just an yeah. hour ago, they called up Jonathan Berger, who's a, yeah. a prospect who plays on the wing. <laughs> so uh, I, I'm outside the arena right now. I'm going to walk in and see, and, and maybe that question will be answered for me by the time I, I get in the door there of, of what's going on here. But it is going to be very interesting. I don't know the answer. Obviously, everyone looks at, as we just talked about, the goalie situation and wonders, you know, is there yeah. a move to be made with, with one of the goalies? That's certainly possible. Um, but I don't think it'll be on defense. And, and I, you know, what could it be at, at forward if it's not, you know, if it's a short-term thing at, at forward and the, the Bergen call up is short-term, then you just slot Kane in and, and someone comes out of the lineup. I know Daniel Sprong's your guy. Yeah. On a night-to-night basis, he could be scratched on occasion, <laughs> right? Clint Costin has been scratched at times on occasion. They can rotate yeah. a little bit here, and I think they like depth. But I'm just as fascinated as you are because, you know, like I said, two hours ago, okay, 22 men on the roster, you bring yeah. one in, no problem. Now it gets a little interesting, so we'll see. So, so you're going to tell me that, that Sprong's got to give up his number and a spot in the lineup? Oof, tough day for Daniel Sprong. <laughs> well, we haven't heard anything on the number yet. We'll, we'll see on that one. I don't think he's going to be a nightly scratch, though, right? He's, he's been good this year. I just mean right. that role, that you know, kind of offensive winger type, you know, it, it, it seems possible that on some nights he could be out. Kossin's another who could be out. Um, you know, who, who am I missing yeah. here? Christian Fisher, I think, has been a really important penalty killer for them. But on a night-to-night basis, they can do some rotating mm. to make room for Patrick Kane, right? 13 points on the fourth line. I don't know. You don't want that, Steve Eiserman. I don't know. You don't want that news you alone? Come don't. on, man. Keep 88 in the I'm lineup. I'm not saying <laughs> for sure him. I'm not saying. I'm just saying that they got options. Uh, this is awesome. Max, listen, enjoy this gate. Uh, an interesting day in Detroit, certainly. Uh, enjoy it. We'll, uh, we'll catch up soon. Thanks for sharing your expertise on this one. No problem, Jeff. Thanks. There he is. Max Boltman covers the uh, Detroit Red Wings for The Athletic, the news story of the day, the big news. Uh, we'll get to Dean Evans in a second, but uh, Patrick Kane is now, and we're waiting for the Red Wings to make this official, uh, a member of the Detroit Red Wings, as we've been talking about um, for quite some time here now around these parts and the podcast as well. Also coming up on the program, Mike Russo, bottom of the hour. We'll talk about the Minnesota Wild situation. They said bye-bye to head coach uh, Dean Evison and assistant coach Bob Woods. John Hines comes in. They'll face off against the St. Louis Blues, and uh, 
uh, in game one of the, of the new era and I think hopefully new direction if you're a Minnesota Wild fan uh, of that team. Shannon Goldman's going to stop by the top of hour two on all the headline news of the day. And also Jim Nill. You know, really, really curious to talk to Jim Nell. He's a general manager of the year and also, you know, he's the general manager of one of the top teams and legitimate Stanley Cup contenders once again in the NHL. So we'll talk to Nell about that. And although it would be tampering to have him comment on a player uh, from another organization, I really am curious about his his history of players with hip surgeries uh, because he's had a couple. So we'll get into that with Jim Neal coming up in hour two. Uh, in the meantime, to finish off uh, this segment of the program, our man Matt Marchese. And uh, Matt, do you want to have a whack at a couple of pinatas here? One, Patrick Kane. Um, to Dean Evison. Man, I'm going to miss lip reading, although sometimes you really <laughs> didn't have to read lips. Um, and, uh, and, and, and three, Kachuk v. Kachuk last night in the nation's capital. Uh, I don't mean to hijack your show, Jeff, but I know you like this person, so I wanna, we want to get a shout-out. Uh, Pete Weber will call his 2,000th game for the Nashville Predators tonight. Just saw that from uh, One our of the pals best. at Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. You know what? I'll tell you. That's so funny you mentioned Pete Weber because today I was – here's a little glimpse into my life. Um, this morning, for whatever reason, I got thinking about about a goal from 1977. <laughs> and it would have been the first goal – I know, I know. It would have been the first goal credited – stop. It would have been the first goal ever credited in the NHL to a goaltender – and it was Rogie Vashon. Now, the reason I thought about this is because on this day in 79, Mike Comito tweeted this one out. We'll have Mike on coming up later on this week. He tweeted out how Billy Smith, uh, on this day in history, 1979, became the first goaltender to ever be credited with a goal. And that was a game against the Colorado Avalanche. Colorado Rockies, rather. Oops, Colorado Rockies. They're now the New Jersey Devils for all you kids in the audience. Um, and so it got me to thinking about this one situation in 1977 where uh, the Los Angeles Kings, um, Rogi Vashon was in net. It was a delayed penalty. They were playing the Islanders. Brian Trache threw it back to Dennis Potvin, who had pulled the goalie, and the puck went in. And the goal originally was credited to Rogi Vashon. Unfortunately, uh, later it was discovered that a guy by the name of Vic Vanaski, there's a name you kids won't remember, but he was an actual NHL and a pretty good one too. Vic Vanaski had touched the puck, so he took it away from Rogi Vashon and gave it to Vic Vanaski. And I was looking for the background story on this because as Pete Weber, and there's your join, as Pete Weber told me years ago, and he worked for the Los Angeles Kings as a play-by-play voice as well, the minute that happened... And I think they probably knew that it was going to be credited to Vic Vanaski anyhow, but they went into sell mode right away over the PA. It was buy your piece of history. Rogi Vashon, <laughs> the first NHL goaltender to score a goal. Get your programs. Get a puck from this historic day. Don't leave the rink tonight without getting a piece of history, Los Angeles Kings I fans. Love it. I love um, it. So Pete Weber told me that story years ago. So there's there's the join for today. How about that? That's great. Okay, so I'll get I'll have a little I'll have a little uh kick at the can here so uh the patrick kane thing i mean we talked about it yesterday that was a really good fit so i don't think we need to spend too much time on that but man that kachuk thing last night was a lot of fun i know we don't you know we shouldn't (laughs) we shouldn't celebrate violence but when it when when the one no no why not but hold on though hold on it wasn't super violent so it was okay. okay um when one brother is chirping the other brother and then when matthew kachuk says timmy and sanderson are dead (laughs) <laughs> like I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm watching this and I'm going like, this is, this is what I love about hockey when it gets heated. And then two brothers 
get heated with each other. I mean, to an extent, I love it. Yeah. But there was a shot of Keith Kachuk in the stands after Zach McEwen had jumped Matthew Kachuk. And the look on, Ma- yep. on Keith Kachuk's face was like, oh, no, what did Matthew do now? Like, that's what it felt like as a parent. Like, <laughs> what did my kid do now? And it was great. And the grandmother yeah. was fantastic. Like the reactions. I love it. All of it. I love it. The, 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 the grandma cutaways were great. And now we all can't wait to watch the Ottawa Senators and the Florida Panthers. Uh, once again, yeah, just a meaningless Monday in late November. No, there was a lot of spice in that one. But there's a lot of spice in the game last year uh, between these two teams as well. Um, a couple of things. Um, after Matthew Kachuk, you know, went at the Ottawa Senators bench about, about Sanderson and uh, Timmy. Timmy was, of course, Tim Stutzla. Um, I got to give it up for, for Jake Sanderson for, yeah. for answering the bell. Mm-hmm. Now, as much as Matthew Kachuk encouraged him to take his helmet off, he didn't take the, take the bait you uh, see why? on that one. <laughs> um, but he, but, but no, I know, but he, <laughs> but he answered the bell, like good on him for doing it. You know, eventually Matthew Kachuk did it against Zach Cassian back in the, uh, the battle of Alberta days. So that was good, but you know, he stole the show. Like, the whole thing is Kachuk versus Kachuk. Grandma stole the show in one sense because the cutaways to Grandma were priceless. Oh, yeah. They were some... That's some of the best television we've seen all... And they could not go back to Grandma enough, mainly because... You know the Kachuk boys were involved in everything. <laughs> yeah, they uh, they caused you know a problem. Who stole the show. You know, so you know, who stole the show. Is that Garrett Rank? Yeah, Garrett Rank was one of the referees in the game last night. Now Garrett Rank, as you know, is the most accomplished golfer mm-hmm. turned referee. Uh, but Garrett Rank's announcement yesterday and Garrett Rank's call was one of the best ones. Like honestly, Maddie, I've ever heard in the history of the NHL. If you missed it. Here's Garrett Rank announcing penalties last night in Ottawa. You're going to get Ottawa fight penalty for number seven Kachuk. has He's... two minutes for goaltender interference, two minutes for roughing. Florida, number 12, has two minutes for roughing. And then every player on the ice has a 10 minute misconduct. <laughs> Florida will have a two minute power play. <laughs> Everybody on the ice. <laughs> 10-minute misconduct. Beat it. Scram. Here's your hat. What's your hurry? Keep keep walking until your hat floats. Get lost. Day late. Dollar short. Last call. Get out of my rink. I so that was Garrett Rank last. So night. when that happened, I immediately texted. <laughs> I loved it. I immediately texted producer David Sis uh, and I went, "We should grab this clip because I guarantee Jeff is gonna want it." <laughs> like, oh yeah, it's brilliant. Oh, it was. And listen. Oh yeah, I'm. I, there have been a couple of great moments with referees on the on the microphone so far this season, but that one really has to take the cake. Good on Garrett Rank. Uh, I know you don't award three stars for officials, uh, but I don't know. After that game last night, pretty good. I'd give Garrett Rank one of the stars just for that call. Everybody on the ice misconduct. Oh, so good. Um, at the end of it all, on a more serious note. Listen, we've seen a coach dismissal in Edmonton. Now we've seen a coach dismissal in Minnesota. And once again, there is the fire DJ chance mm-hmm. in Ottawa. This is something that I don't think the Ottawa Senators want to do. Nope. This is something that I don't think that Steve Steos wants to do. Like, I, I think we all wonder about a couple of names here. And I don't think that they would be names that would be available right away should they decide to make a move uh, behind the bench. Like, I wonder about John Gruden, who's head coach of the Marlies right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that the Rangers um, let Chris Knobloch go uh, to go to the to the NHL. But I, first of all, I don't think this is 
this is a move that Steos wants to do it all, and I think that I think that he'd rather not be forced into this decision. But there's only so many times. And look, eventually the Ottawa Senators woke up last night. But specifically those first two periods, Maddie, that was a lifeless team. Yeah. Like there was nothing there. You watch like every stride, there was nothing there in every single stride. And the Florida Panthers, at least for the first two periods until the third period turned into what the third period turned into, that was all Florida. Florida did what they wanted uh, on the ice with their sticks, did what they wanted physically to the Ottawa Senators. It was one of those games where you look at it and you say, something's got to change here. This is real bad. This is real bad. Yeah, and you know, the the thing that I always have an issue with, and I know that DJ Smith is out there, you know, with the media, and he's, you know, he's, he's trying to be a shield for his players, and that's what good coaches do. But when he says, you know... <sighs> They, they weren't ready to play. That's on me. I don't buy that. Jeff, I don't... These are professional athletes. What do you mean that's your job to get them ready? No. If you're not motivated to play, you. you know, then that's... And and I, I understand, again, DJ Smith is out there and he's trying to protect his players. But at some point, the players got to step up and say, this one's not on the coach. This one's on us. Like, we were the ones who were out there playing the game. We were the ones who weren't prepared. And we were the ones that didn't prepare ourselves to go do that. That has nothing to do with the coach. So... I really struggle with that because I, yeah. I, I do think that there is a good coach there in DJ Smith. I just don't know that the timing right now in, in Ottawa is uh, is I, very good for him. I think that the coach is responsible for having his team prepared tactically. Sure. To play against a team like the Florida Panthers last night, that's one thing. But as far as like efforts, that's all up to the players. Mm-hmm. That's all what you're bringing. It doesn't matter whether you're a member of the Ottawa Senators or you work in a corporate 9-to-5 place and you work in a, in a corner cubicle, it doesn't matter. Like you control your effort. Like you either show up ready or, or not. So I, I don't buy, and I know what he's doing. Like this has always been DJ Smith, like whether it's in Windsor and Oshawa, you know, with, uh, with the, with the Ottawa senators, this is, this is DJ Smith being the player's coach and trying to say, yeah, you know what though? Don't put the heat all on them. Put the heat on me. I didn't prepare him right uh, to get ready for this game. I think a coach is responsible tactically, but as far as motivation goes, you're not going to do a Gipper speech every game. Like no. that is up to you, whether you're Stutzla, whether you're Sanderson, um, whether you're Corpusalo, whether you're Kachuk, that's up to you. I'm I'm with you 100. Like and that's and, that has nothing to do with DJ Smith. And even some of the miscommunications and stuff last night, like a, even the and I can't remember who scored the goal. I think it was and it was Artem Zub who kind of fell behind the net, and it was just like a comedy of errors last night. Yeah. Or Corpusalo yep. banging his stick because the defense is not stick. coming around to pick up the puck. Like it was it was one of those games where not only could you you could feel it, but you, I mean, you could see it certainly, but you could feel the frustration level and, you know, not all, not everybody was all on the same page last night. And it took the Florida Panthers doing something to get you into the game. Like you didn't, it wasn't organic on your own. It had to do with something the other team did. And that's a bad sign when somebody has to do something to you to show a little bit of an effort. Oh boy, that is not a good look for anybody. Matthew Kachuk was just doing whatever he wanted to whomever he wanted, yeah. including the goaltender. Yeah. Last night. Like, you remember what kind of player DJ Smith was. Like, I, do, I, can only I do. Imagine. Like, I'm watching this. I'm like, I'm like, man, DJ Smith is fuming right now. I would hate to be the paint on the wall in the dressing room for that second intermission. I would hate to be the paint on the wall because I'm getting peeled. 
I'm getting screamed off the wall. Hey, um, uh, really quickly, uh, we'll spend more time on this later, but uh, the Calgary overtime win last night against the Vegas Golden Knights. First of all, Dusty Nickel with yeah, the e-bug sitting sitting on the yeah. bench here. I can only imagine what goes through these people's minds. Hasn't like, played oh, a competitive no. game since 2012, <laughs> and there he is against the defending Stanley Cup champions. And you're sitting there going, please don't run the goalie. Don't please get don't hurt. Run the goalie. Please don't run the goalie. Um, and a couple of things here. There's a McKenzie Weger end-to-end. There was the, depending if you're a Vegas fan or Calgary Flames fan, pick on Alex Petrangelo, <laughs> the overtime winner uh, at the blue line. But also... And the worst one that I ever saw personally was Ian LaPerriere on Paul Martin, which is a Philadelphia, New Jersey series where Ian LaPerriere went down and blocked a slap shot right in the face. Mm-hmm. And that was the beginning of the end of Ian LaPerriere's career. Noted shot blocker, noted penalty killer, etc. cetera. Um, Chris Tanev, man, blocking uh, William Carlson's shot in front of the net, going down like it's nothing yeah. at all. That was a tough one. That guy is nails. Nails, nails, nails. I don't know how else to describe it. Um, we've seen some bad ones. Uh, we've seen some bad ones before. Uh, I remember Jack Hillen uh, with Alexander Ovechkin in that Islanders-Washington game where he caught an Ovi slap shot flush yeah. uh, in the mouth. Um, but that was a bad one, man. And all I, all I could think about is, A, bad for Chris Tanev. And all I could think about, too, is if you're a team out there that's looking to bring in Chris Tanev, maybe a team that exists in the hockey mecca of the hockey universe and you're Brad Living and you're watching that and you're saying to yourself, oh, I know that's why we love him, but really? Yeah. That's a tough one for, for Chris Tanev last night. But that's a Chris Tanev play, right? 100%. 100%. And, that's why, and like you said, that's why you bring in a guy like Chris Tanev because he does things like that. Um, but the overtime, I mean, it, you know what it, you know what it, it told me, Jeff, watching that overtime is that I really don't like four What's on that? four. Cause the whole overtime was four, four basically. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I, but the thing that I wonder about is, and we got a hustle here to get to Russo. I wonder if you would like four on four, if you got rid of the blue lines, maybe like, I know what you're saying about four on four. But a three on three, I think, works because of the presence of blue lines. Although people talk about, you know, uh, uh, backtracking to the neutral zone for regroups. Um, I wonder if you end up going four for four and then just really stretch the ice by taking away the lines. I wonder how much, how you would feel about four on four. It can't be any worse than that last night. Like I feel like there were like six shots in overtime, maybe <laughs> four on four. It shouldn't yeah, be like but that. There was like broke. Oh, it was chaos. Broken sticks all over the place too, and picks, and there was a one Mackenzie Weger like. Vegas looked dopey on that play, and all of a sudden, of all people, Mackenzie Weger goes end to end. Like, was that Noah Hannafin? No, that's Mackenzie Weger. Yeah, and I thought that's Mackenzie Weger going end to end against the Vegas Golden Knights. I thought that that goal at first blush, I thought it was offside. To be honest with you, like with the pick and everything, I thought it was with offside the, with, with with the play. Yeah, yeah, I thought I was like, oh, that's yeah. offside oh, we didn't for even sure. Talk about. We didn't even talk about the offside challenge in the Ottawa Florida game. Oof, man, that one really. That turned a two nothing score into a three nothing score pretty fast. Sure did, and that ended it for uh, for, for that game. All right, we got to hustle. Um, we're going to get to the Minnesota Wild situation here. Yeah, yesterday they fired Dean Evason. Um, I don't think it's a move that Bill Guerin wanted to make. Was it his only move though? 
I will ask Mike Russo from The Athletic that question and go elsewhere with the uh, the Minnesota Wild in a couple of moments here. Jim Nill coming up in hour two. Shannon Goldman from The Athletic stops by in hour two as well and the Too Many Men podcast. Uh, lots of show, a lot of stuff last night. We haven't even talked about tonight uh, as well, and tonight's going to be a good one too. Uh, a lot of really interesting games on the board. Uh, lots to get to. Glad you're here. Stop talking dummy and go to break across the Sportsnet Radio Network, Sportsnet 360, and wherever you listen to podcasts, Merrick Show continues. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, really quickly, before we turn to Mike Russo and uh, the dismissal of Dean Everson in Minnesota, a couple of things on the New York Rangers last night losing 5-1 to the Buffalo Sabres. Puka Pekalukunen, by the way, is he now the number one netminder? Are we done with the rotation? Uh, Rangers, you saw Capocacco leave with five minutes left in the second. He's going to long-term injury along with Philip Heedle, both going to LTIR. Uh, on Heedle, that's going to be retroactive, I believe, to November 3rd. He's still skating on his own. Uh, Kako's injury is severe. Uh, he won't miss the season, though. He'll be back at some point. Um, and here's the big story as it relates to right now. Adam Fox will be activated from LTIR, and he'll suit up for the Rangers. They face off against the Detroit Red Wings tomorrow. Meantime... Listen, Patrick Kane is the headline story of right now. Uh, and if it weren't, this would be the headline story of right now. Dean Evason, now ex-head coach of the Minnesota Wild. John Hines comes in. This news happening last night. Uh, the man who was all over it is Mike Russo of The Athletic, and he joins me now. Mike, how are you today? Good, good. Yeah, Patrick Kane's uh, former program coach at the U.S. development team is now the head coach of the Wild. Yeah, I want to get into John Hines here in a couple of moments and, you know, wondering, you know, if he can do for, I don't know, Kirill Kaprizov what he did for Taylor Hall in New Jersey, but but park yeah. that for one second. Um, I don't get the sense that this was something that Bill Guerin, general manager of the Minnesota Wild, wanted to do, but much like, I guess, the situation at Edmonton, the team found themselves backed into a corner and it seemed like this was the only thing he could do. Is that accurate? Yeah, I mean, it really is. I mean, you know, look, they have. Uh, we we talked about it when I was on the other day is that they've they signed these three guys, uh, Zagrillo, Aquino, and Hartman to no trade clauses. Johansson's no trade. Everybody's got no trades here. You know, if you sign in Minnesota, yeah. it's like handed out. So, um, you know, he's put himself in a tough position to make uh, meaningful trades, and I know that he would love to have sh- shaken the tree a lot more than just a Bogosian trade. Uh, you know, earlier this month, and it just didn't come together and so the next thing is the coach and um you know obviously there's always pressure on this organization to make the playoffs i think there's more pressure on this team to you know maybe go get a top draft pick for once in a blue moon but they decided that that you know it was too enticing to one you know billy getting a guy that he incredibly respects and john hines uh but two trying to turn this team back into the team that we've seen the last couple years but largely the same roster and so you know, when you look at the West this year, it's down. The playoffs are still very much doable, as as miserable as it's been for the Wild, and as hard as it is to believe because this team can't even get a win, let alone string a bunch together. 
But if you look at it, I mean, you know, if if, if I, I think that the the pace is going to pick up, but if 85 points gets you in, that's only 71 points in the last, you know, next 63 games for the Wild to get. I mean, that's incredibly doable, and they have a ton of games uh, that are winnable coming up here in the next uh, couple of weeks, and I think that they just felt like it was now or never. You know, I think a lot of people will look at this situation right now with Dean Everson out and John Hines in and say, hold on a second here. $15 million cap space, black hole, uh, goaltenders who are not performing. Stop me if you've yeah. seen that movie before. The goaltenders stop playing and the coach ends up walking the plank. And, you know, no number one center uh, for the team. And there's been you know, a long time this team has looked for help down the middle. And that's your recipe for dismissing the coach? A lot of people look at this and say, hold on a second here. It seemed as if, you know, you know, Dean Evason was, you know, coaching with one skate behind his back. He was, um, and, you know, really a skate and a half this year because it was just so much more restrictive and everything they could do. You know, they immediately went into LTI this year. They had to play a man short in Montreal yeah. because of Hartman's suspension. They're an injury away from, again, playing man short. There's no bodies extra in practice, so you you can't, you know, hold guys accountable by benching them or, you know, uh, you know putting them on the fourth line or scratching them and, um, it, it was a real tough situation for for Dean Evason and the you know the fans here that are critics of him. I think forget the fact that fifteen million dollars is you know two stars. It's five three million dollar players. I mean that's what the Wild were playing yeah. with icing on an everyday basis against teams that were that had you know full rosters. Just look in the playoffs last year. You know uh, Dallas loses Joe Pavelski and they move Tyler Sagan up to the number one power play, uh, and he gets scored like four or five goals yeah. against the Wild. Wild <laughs> lose Ryan Hartman. The Wild lose Ryan Hartman, and they have to move, put a nine hundred thousand dollars Sam Steele on their top line. I mean, it's just that's the way that this organization is built right now. Until this, until this, um, you know, uh, cap hits uh, for Parisi and, and Suter really for buying them out expire. So now John Hines comes in, and and he's got to deal with the same thing. Only he doesn't have an all-world goalie like you know Soros, and he doesn't have a Norris Trophy defenseman, and in in Yossi and you know we'll see if Kirill Kaprizov could be the next Taylor Hall but um you know he's coached up you know a lot of guys like if you look in John Hines's careers where you know I know that that you know it's fashionable in Minnesota to just right now say that he's never won and Dean never won and it's the same coach and all that stuff but you look at guys there's there's a dozen guys that have had career years under John Hines and so um, and he's been in positions where the teams, you know, that was a, that was a, I just got off the phone with Ray Shiro a minute before we, we got off the phone and he was talking about that New Jersey team that he was the GM of. And, and you know, he was like, it was yeah. a seven year rebuild. But you look at the job that he did with Heischer and Hughes and, and, um, you know, and, uh, Jesper Brad and those guys. And, you know, they're, they're obviously getting paid the dividends now, but they were young, young players. Um, so here, here's what I wonder about. We always sort of play like, okay, so why was it John Hines? Why is he the guy chosen to replace? And I think people would maybe wonder: Is this a you know a, a, he's a you know strong the, the organization is in something with the with the owner? Uh, is this a strong USA hockey move or is this a Bill Guerin Wilkes-Barre Scranton AHL move? What's uh, if I'm throwing a dart? Which one should I which one should I direct it at? Uh, the latter. I mean, there's there's no doubt. I mean, that, that's one thing that Bill, you know, definitely I think is it's it's a little weird to me that, you know, he's been the GM here for five years and he's yet to have a coaching search. You know, he had the opportunity there after finding Bruce Boudreau to do one. And instead of doing one, he, he obviously made Dean the interim coach, which was logical at the time. But then in the summer, yep. he just 
strip strip the, the the interim tag right off Dean. That's fine. Dean did a pretty good job, um, but he just did it. And then this time, you know, he can he can maybe say in his own mind he thought about Jay Woodcroft or Gerard Gallant or Todd Nelson or whoever. Right? You know, this is I'm just making up names. But the reality is John Hines sure. is always the guy. This is why I think I told you last week I thought it would be John Hines. I've written in my mailbag. I thought it would be John Hines. I've said it on the podcast yeah. that it would be John Hines. I mean, it just – it was too logical, right? He was – he you know, he was the player development guy for Wilkes-Barre for years. I, I In Nashville last year, I, I got to be part of a conversation that Bill and, and John Hines were in, and I knew how close they were. And then the other thing here is Ray Shiro's the senior advisor – of the wild and who hired John Hines in Wolfsburg is Ray Shiro who hired him in years is Ray Shiro. So it was going to be John Hines. And, and so now the hope is, is that John can come in. Um, you know, if you remember when Nashville, he went there when Peter Laviolette was fired, that was a broken hockey team. And it, before the pandemic, he went 16, yeah. nine and one or something like that. And, and they looked to be a much, much better team before the pandemic interrupted that season. So the hope is if there's ever a broken franchise, it's the one that I'm covering. And the hope is that John can have the same, you know, immediate coaching boost that you usually get from a coaching change, but then continue that long term. Can he play goal? <laughs> That's the question. I said that I made that a joke to somebody <laughs> in the organization yesterday. He doesn't have Soros right now. You know, I mean, you know, it's it's yeah. it's, it's an indictment. He comes here today and he's got to pick one of two goalies, one the birthday boy that's turning what thirty nine, the other one is a guy that was a, you know, potential Vesna type goalie last year that has two wins and ten starts. They've got to start getting better goaltending. They've got to start killing penalties. They've got to just start defending better. When all that happens, I think that we're gonna see a better Kaprizov, a better Boldy and all that type of stuff. But um, you know, they've got a lot of issues up and down this lineup. World players that aren't producing whatsoever. You know, I mean Freddie Goudreau, no points. Marcus Johansson, one goal. Polino, two goals. Um, you know, there's just, uh, you know, Hartman hasn't scored in a long time and now is losing his mind on the ice. Um, you know, it's it's just, yeah. there's there's so many problems with this organization right now that I just am a little skeptical that one coaching change is going to fix everything. And that's the big thing that Bill Guerin said today is, you know, it was one week ago where I had the exclusive interview in Stockholm where he said that Dean was safe and that, that, this, that he can't execute for the players. And, you know, essentially two games later, everything's changed. And, and um, I think that he said today that, that this was an organization they looked at and he just didn't see any way that the players were going to get better without him doing something behind the bench. And that's not an indictment of Dean and Bob Woods, but it is certainly an indictment of the guys on this roster. And they've got to play better and they've got to get better goaltending. And, you know, Phil Gustafson has been better mm-hmm. lately, but then there's always that one goal in every game that breaks their back. And he needs to start stop in the puck you know when, when we think of teams that were sort of down and out uh and made a hail mary pass the first thing and to, to a lot of success the ultimate success actually we think about the st louis blues and their hail mary pass was jordan bennington up from the american hockey league mm-hmm. leads them to the stanley cup what what a story is there and maybe the answer is marco rossi you're closer to it than me is there a hail mary pass that minnesota can make to help turn their season around you know, it's got to be Kaprizov and Boldy starting to play like Kaprizov and Boldy. Like, I don't think they're going to, like, they're, you know, when you first asked that, I thought you were talking in goal and, and, and alluding to the fact that they could call up Wallstead. Um, first of all, right now, Wallstead. they can't even afford Wallstead's salary, you know. <laughs> they, can't, they literally cannot yeah. afford him unless they <laughs> trade players. Um, but the other thing is, like, I just don't think that they're at, now I'm not saying that won't happen in February or March. 
but I don't think that right now, if they're in a desperate situation, but I don't think right now is the time to take a 21 or two year old goalie and throw them in a lineup that is in shambles right now. Like until this team starts playing better, I think it would be development, you know, prospect malpractice to throw him in here and put that type of pressure on here. The hope of this organization right now relies on Jesper Wallstadt becoming the star that they think they drafted in the first round. And you don't want to ruin that to try to, you know, get the eighth spot this year, I don't think. So um, it's got to be, sure. you know, I, I mean, Rossi, Rossi is not going to just suddenly become, um, you know, Mika Zabinajad right now or, or something like that. Like he's, he's going to need to slowly develop. He's looked really good, but he's still not producing points at an, at an incredible clip considering he's playing with Zuccarello and, um, and, and Caprisa. So what needs to happen is Caprisa needs to start playing like Caprisa and Matt Boldy needs to, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, needs to just, uh, you know, stop moping around and start playing better. I mean, he, he has one goal this season, none in the last 10, and he's taking penalties on an every night basis now. So, He's just got to, you know, yeah. for them to be, get where they want to go, their stars have to be better. Their role players have to start chipping in. And, uh, and they've got to stop, as you mentioned, stopping the puck. Uh, that's a huge grocery list. Uh, that's enormous. Here, yeah. Here's one of the questions. I'll, 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 end, I'll end on this one. And perhaps it's a, it's a better question to ask you at the end of next season when the real bulk of all the money is off, uh, is off of the cap. But... Uh, I know managers don't like the 2020 hindsight game and looking back and, and judging decisions, but if Minnesota knew how they would perform after the buyouts, um, do you think they still would have done it? Yeah, I mean, I do think that. Um, you know, like it's not like when they bought these guys out that the money was the money. It was, it was. You know, they they could forecast that this was they were going to have to pay 12-7 against you know uh, lose 12-7 last year. 14-7 this year and 14-7 next year. Um, so I, I, Bill Guerin just wanted their influences off this roster and begin the reset of changing the culture. What he's compounded the problem is, is that he's created more long-term deals with no trade clauses, you know, lesser money, but he, he's locked to this roster into, you know, in further inflexibility. Now, I don't think they could have forecasted that the cap would not rise and they wouldn't start getting a little bump and at least sure. make that 14-7 a little more tolerable. But, you know, the one thing, let's put it this way. If Bill Guerin regrets it, he will not say it publicly because I've asked him many times. I asked him again today if he regrets the extensions and, you know, not waiting and seeing how the season played out, that he absolutely has no regrets. Like, um, you know, from that standpoint, they, they made their bet and they're not apologizing for it. All right. Uh, on that, we'll let you go. We uh, we shall see. I mean, it's it's never. It, it seems like never be a dull moment around the Minnesota Wild, and you're all over it. They'll <laughs> face off against the St. Louis Blues tonight in the John Hines, the beginning of the John Hines era uh, of the Minnesota Wild. Mike, is always a pleasure, my friend. Thanks for always coming Thanks. on when we call. Take a care. lot of news, and you're a go-to yep. guy. Thanks so much for this, Mike. Thanks, Jeff. Take Mike care. Russo uh, from the Athletic uh, covers, uh, amongst other things, the Minnesota Wild. Great features writer. Uh, as well for the uh, athletic, we always appreciate Mike hopping on. It is really hot there right now, and we'll see Minnesota St. Louis tonight. They do have a stretch of games, like they've got this stretch of three games against the Central. So tonight it's St. Louis, and then two days from now they got the National Predators and then the Chicago Blackhawks. So you want to talk about bump, and they're in that mushy middle area of the Western Conference right now, where no one outside of maybe Edmonton, but we'll see is really distinguishing themselves and trying to make a push. 
We'll see how that goes. Okay, time now for Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book. Bet local, Matt Marchese. What are you thinking about tonight amongst the 10 games on the go? Uh, Panthers at the Maple Leafs. The puck line is minus one and a half for the Maple Leafs. The Panthers are 5-1 and one in the last six meetings. The Panthers are also 4-0 and oh in the last four meetings in Toronto. The under is 4-0 oh in the last four meetings in Toronto, and the under is 8-0 and oh in the last eight meetings. So high-scoring or low-scoring yeah. Panthers win, that's what we're looking at, maybe. Who knows, right? Like, in the Florida Panthers coming off a really emotional win last night. Like, one, one of mm-hmm. two things is going to happen after that win last night against the Ottawa Senators. One, there's going to be a crash. Or two, they're going to be completely galvanized. Yeah. And did a game like that, you know, it bring them even more closer together as a team. Like, you saw the bench at the end of the game. It's like Paul Maurice and a couple of players. Like, what what I think, uh, what, did they, what did Florida have on the bench? Like, six players and Ottawa had five? Yeah, something like, like that. By the end of the game yesterday. It looked, it, it was, it was pure. Or folly. So we'll see what that does with the Florida Panthers. This is again a back to back. Uh, they had a number of players chucked out. It was a particularly physical game. Thank you very much. And didn't seem like Paul Maurice minded that one bit. Now for the Maple Leafs, uh, this is going to be again. Uh, the great split. So Marner is no longer playing with Matthews. William Nylander goes up to that top line with Austin Matthews and Matthew Nyes. Um, Mitch Marner goes down to play with John Tavares and Tyler Bertuzzi. Bertuzzi, by the way, has been really good lately. I'm sure you've uh, all noticed by now. I think the one question that we're wondering about here is, um, what's up with Mitch Marner? Like, I know he goes through these stretches where... He doesn't look like the Mitch Marner that we're used to. And then he snaps out of it and he becomes like one of the premier playmakers and one of the most exciting players in the NHL, hands down. But right now he's sort of mired in a little bit of a, of a funk. Um, so we'll see. It's only a matter of time, probably, until he snaps out of it. Uh, we've seen this often um, out of Sheldon Keefe where there will be a cold stretch to start the season and the two get separated only to reunite sometime after the new year. Um, I mentioned Tyler Bertuzzi, five points in his past five games. Um, One of the concerning things for the Maple Leafs, only five regulation wins so far. I know people consider them a Stanley Cup contender. They just haven't played like one or anywhere close to one so far this season. We'll see tonight. Paul Maurice facing against his old team. Toronto Maple Leafs and the Florida Panthers. That's Line Change presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. Jim Nill, GM of the Stars, Shana Goldman from The Athletic. Next, hour two's on the horizon of the Merrick Show across the Sportsnet Radio Network, Sportsnet 360, and wherever you listen to your podcast, folks, those fun things. Your daily dose of everything NFL. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Welcome to Hour 2. Coming up at the bottom of it, we'll talk to Jim Nill, the general manager of the Dallas Stars, one of the best teams in the NHL. True or false? Well, the answer is clearly true. Maybe you should ask Shana Goldman that. She of the Athletic and the Too Many Men podcast. Hello, Shana Goldman. How are you? I'm good. How are you? How's hoodie life? 
<laughs> it's good. You know, we have to be comfortable if we're going to try to be like professionals all the time, right? Our hours don't give in to this I whole know. being human at this time of day. <laughs> now, uh, I, I know very well that, listen, I... um. Uh, I apply my trade here on a daily basis in my basement uh, in front of a number of books, most of which I've read, but I give across the impression that I have actually read all of these books that are behind me right now. As I have a look at your bookshelf, what do you have behind you at this point? I always do the, what is so-and-so or, you know, what is so-and-so reading lately? What do you got behind you? Oh, wow. Um, let's see. We have your colleague, Justin Bourne's book here. We have yes. concussion and things like that. We have the Harry Potter books because, of course, we have some <laughs> tennis books up here. We have Messier's book. We have like nice. a little mix of everything. You have the, do I see the Derek Sanderson book behind you as well? You do. Yep. I read that a few years ago, so it fit nicely. I tried to order them by like size. You know, because I didn't, I really didn't know how to put <laughs> this together. This is like my first real bookshelf instead of shoving everything in boxes. The the Derek Sanderson one is is fascinating because Derek's written like three of these. <laughs> it's always fun sort of measuring off the stories uh, when he wrote about them 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. Uh, man, he was a good hockey player. Man, what a what a talent. And the story of him is, of course, all that talent um, that was wasted so many, so many years ago. In the meantime, your talent is not wasted here. And we love your expertise. <laughs> and we love when you share your expertise. And we'll start with the headline story of the day. And that is Patrick Kane signs with the Detroit Red. Wings. Now, there's a couple of issues here. One, the hip resurfacing surgery, um, which for a player who's no longer 24 years old can be significant. Um, you know, I'm going to talk to Jim Nell at the bottom of the hour of the Dallas Stars about his experiences with players and hip surgeries, most notably Tyler Sagan and Jamie Benn. Uh, we just saw the situation in Washington with Nicholas Backstrom. See the situation in Toronto with John Klingberg. Given his age, given the health situation, um, what do you expect for Patrick Kane in Detroit? I think that it would be fair to temper expectations for him. And I think it was the same case last year. You literally don't know how someone's going to heal from this. Uh, you don't know how long the recovery period on the ice is going to take as much as he might have rehabbed it this summer and this fall. That's, you know, no replication for actual game action. And then you factor his age into it. So there's everything working yeah. against him. But if the Red Wings can put him in a position where he doesn't have to be the guy, and I think they can do that. You know, you have Alex Brinkett, you have Dylan Larkin to be the guys, and he can be more of a complimentary or supporting guy. I think that it'll ease his way back into game action, and then they can assess where he belongs truly. But this isn't the Colorado Avalanche, where you could put him in a spot where he can be completely and totally supported, that you can make up for any lapses he might have in his game now from coming back from this. So that's going to be, like, I think the biggest challenge of it all. You know, will he look too exposed? Will the speed be an issue? That was an issue last year. How much of it was because of his age versus, you know, just the injury? It's not like he was the fastest player in the world at his heights. So I think all of that is something that we're going to have to see how it goes over the next couple of weeks. It's not going to be an immediate thing. They definitely have to give him a minute to get into his groove and then, you know, assess from there. 
you know, Florida was quite aggressive, as we understand it, in 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 their pursuit of, of Patrick Kane. And, you know, we know of other teams like Buffalo is kind of an obvious one. Dallas, uh, both last year and this year, to some extent, I'm not sure how much. And I don't think Jim Nell is going to tell me because of that T word tampering. Um, but yeah, was there a team for you that you looked at and said, you know what, Patrick Kane would be a great fit here? Was there a squad out there for you? I like Dallas for him for sure because I think they have the defensive structure and again they have that top line that they don't need him to be the guy. He could be the power play quarterback of power play too essentially and I think that would really make a strong team even stronger. Florida could make sense too but I think that their offense is so you know high end right now it wouldn't hurt for them to have a little bit more depth than any defensive weaknesses we perceive that they would have. They've proven otherwise this year so I think they could have handled him. I think the one team that should not have gone for him and i think are lucky to have avoided him are the buffalo sabers i didn't think that made sense for them i think that they need um they could use more playmakers yes they can use more shooters yes but i don't think that they need someone with known defensive weaknesses to his game that could be magnified right now because of the weaknesses we just talked about him likely having so i felt like they were the one team that Mm -hmm. shouldn't have gone for him you know, it's interesting with the Buffalo Sabres, and that was a huge win last night. Uh, the Sabres over the New York Rangers, 5-1, to one, front and center, Azuka Pekalukanen, who I would think, but I don't know, would now have the net full-time or as close to full-time as, as we know goaltenders can perform uh, in the NHL right now. Let, let, let me dovetail to the Buffalo Sabres here for, for a second because you, you took us down that road. Um, how do you see the swords right now? Like there's the, the three-headed goalie monster, which nobody likes. I mean, everybody gives lip service. Oh, we're making it work, and the players don't, the, the players don't like it. Uh, the goalies don't like it. They'll all say the right thing, but, you know, Shana, you know, they don't like it. Like nobody likes it here. There are some people in the Sabres organization that see no problem with it um but how do you see the buffalo sabers right now how do you see the goaltending situation uh lukanen's played great for this team uh there's more of a groundswell now of people banging the send devon levi to rochester drums how do you see the swords starting with uh, with the net mining i think that having someone like lukanen jump out as the, I would, I would, I would say the one A right now, right? I don't think we could say clear bona fide starter because that's reserved for the select few. But I would say he's jumped out as the clear one A right now, and they should ride him while he's hot. Why not? What do they have to lose? Because it doesn't seem like Devin Levi's been in the ideal position to succeed this season. And while they've tightened up defensively, which was a huge weakness for them last year. There's a lot of offensive gaps, and it just feels like Levi wasn't getting that goal support. So maybe it's for the best that he just plays through this for a bit in the AHL. It's such an adjustment coming Mm -hmm. to the NHL level as a goalie. It's one of the trickiest positions to understand that I don't think it would hurt to give him some time in Rochester. Not even as a punishment, just as you know, a stint to refine his game and maybe build his confidence back up because I'm sure the start of the year hasn't been easy for him. And while Lukanen is thriving, you roll with him and then you can decide afterwards. But I think the bigger focus for me has to be on their offense right now. And last night, obviously, we saw a really great offense from them, especially <laughs> with that top line on the ice. I think shot attempts were 20 to four with Tuck, Skinner, and Middlestad on the ice. Uh, scoring chances were like eight nothing at five on five. That's excellent. But that's just not where. Yeah. It's been consistently the season of Buffalo. So if their goaltending can at least be slightly above average, I think then they can focus on the true area of need, which is bring the offense to where you expect it to be and hoping that the defense that they implemented this year isn't weighing down an area that should be a strength. 
Um, and, you know, we, I think with the Buffalo Sabres, you just wait for the return of Jack Quinn and Tage Thompson, etc. But I, I want to ask you about Casey Middlestad. You know, for for the long time, he was sort of the, the butt of a lot of jokes and, you know, a lot of questions about how, you know, is it going to work out for Casey Middlestad and the Buffalo Sabres? You know, at that draft, you know, most at the table thought that they were going to go with uh, for for Martin Natchez, and then the audible was called, as we understand it, at the table, and they went with uh, with uh, the college star. Uh, do you have a thought on on Casey Middlestat, whose game it, it took a while to get there, but at least now you can say, you know what, we can justify that pick that high. Yeah, it feels like players, you know, get to be at the butt end of the jokes for poor management decisions when they're drafted in positions maybe they don't belong, or you know, tournaments kind of fuel a pick when those expectations are unrealistic for what that player's ceiling truly is. But right now, obviously, stepping up as a first-line center, which is great for them because Dylan Cousins hasn't had the easiest start this season. But ideally, in Buffalo, he is a really good 3C for them. And I think if he can, you know, rove between that middle six role, that's even better to have. He has been a really important player for them. He's made really good plays to do things like shifting defense to offense. Even if it's not the flashiest of plays, he's been a really good supporting player to some of the more offensive players in Buffalo. I think when we saw them break up that top line of Thompson, Skinner, and Tuck, we saw him playing a little bit bit more with Jeff Skinner, who he was really complimenting earlier this year. So if they can build on that, I think that's a good thing for them because what do you need in this league? It's, you know, everyone will say center depth wins champions, sure. But it's also having, you know, three scoring lines is ideal. If you want to go with the Vegas Golden Knights model, we could talk all day about do you need average goaltending? Do you need a true starter? The conversation should be depth in front of the the blue paint and you need three good scoring lines. So if he can keep up at this level and build on it from here, I think the Sabres are in a good position to have, you know, a stronger middle six than they did last year. So last night, Shana, we saw in conversation with Shana Goldman from The Athletic and the Too Many Men podcast. We saw the top three teams in the NHL in action, and we saw the top three teams in the NHL lose. Uh, the Rangers lost to Buffalo, the Boston Bruins lost to Columbus, and the Vegas Golden Knights lost to Calgary. Boston's lost three games in a row now. Do they stink? Yep. Cancel the season. It's over. They're terrible. <laughs> Throw them out. Um, you know what? They, they're a tough one because you open the season and you look at this incredible record and you have to remember the context of yeah. that they had the easiest schedule in the league. So, yes, getting the points early is important, but there's more to it that I think that they needed. Um, I still think the Bruins are a very good team. I think that they're going to have to make a change in the top nine. I think they're going to need another center. Like, it's, I think... If anything, the next month or two will decide that uh, if they're not running away with games consistently, like you want to have as much support as you could have and they just don't have it. Uh, But they should be encouraged by what their goaltenders have done. You know, Jeremy Swayman, I think, has been incredibly impressive. I think that Lena Solmark, too, you have one of the best tandems in the league. You know you have a really good blue line. You know Charlie McAvoy is playing, you know, top-notch hockey most of the time this season. So this is just kind of like a little blip in their season. But... It's never a bad thing, I think, for a team to get a reality check earlier after flying high to start the season because it gives you a little more context on what you need to build on. So often we see teams run away with their records and they just keep playing at that level when you should be improving along the way and just trying to get better, even if you're, you know, compiling the wins. So mm. I think it's it's good for them to get this out of the way now so they're better down the stretch. So what you're saying is they're still shopping for Elias Lindholm. I mean, they should be. They absolutely should be. That that center depth is not what they needed to be. I think 
Even like you look at someone like Zaka and they brought him in last year and he had one of the best seasons of his career. It was on the wing. I know this is a player that likes to be at center more so. That was true throughout his time in New Jersey. He was better on the wing. So you need to maximize players. I don't think it's ideal to have Charlie Coyle as you're, you know, trying to have him as a top line center. He's really good as a middle six center. So while you can try to make up for that with elite winger depth, right, or, you know, Mm. a super strong blue line or amazing goaltenders, you want to be as well-rounded as possible. And for Boston, you want to be doing this in the Brad Marchand era. They didn't get to do it again in the Patrice Bergeron era, so maybe that puts a little more pressure on it. And you want to do it. Pashnok and McAvoy are in their primes and you know Hampus Lindholm is playing at this level and you have the strength and net that you have right now so yeah definitely the time to look seriously down the middle and find an option whether you go as flashy as Elias Lindholm or you can find someone a little bit more low-key that's going to take them up a notch from where they are right now. So the first thing I did this morning when I woke up after I put on a pot of coffee and did my little stretching routine is I read your piece on John Hines and the Minnesota Wild. Um, not a fan of this move, Shana Goldman. Explain. <laughs> I know. It's like I, I'm brought in to be critical. It's so easy to be critical. Um, you know what? <laughs> I look at the wild and I don't necessarily disagree with the coaching change, right? I don't think they had many options. Do I think right. that Everson got bit by a really bad penalty kill and really bad goaltending this year? Absolutely. But I think that this is a team that's been a little stagnant for a while. We see them kind of have the same result every single year. It's a round one exit. They're this strong defensive team. They have a defensive identity. So if they brought in Hines to say, we need to refine our identity, I don't think they need to as much as maybe it looks on the surface right now. I think at even strength, their defense is fine. It's the goaltending. I think the penalty kill legitimately needs help. I agree with that. But I think this is a team that needs a little more dimension to their game. They need to focus on their play on the other side of the ice. And someone like John Hines can help create an offense that grinds out opponents and is really strong on the forecheck, but they have the players to do that already. I don't think you need a coach to implement a system that's going to highlight that. I think when you have Joel Erickson at the top of your lineup, you're going to have that. Marcus Foligno and, you know, Frederick Goudreau. I don't think you need to emphasize that. I think you need to emphasize what the team is missing and build a system that's going to help them thrive in another way. And that's more off the rush. And I don't think he did that with his teams in New Jersey and Nashville. And I know it's tough to look at New Jersey because that was a team in transition. They were rebuilding. But the Predators that he coached aren't that different from this Wild team, right? They had a good, you know, defensive identity and a pretty solid blue line. And they had a really strong top line with some depth issues below that. So it's a familiar position for him to be. But we saw in Nashville, the top line could carry the puck in with control. And so could Roman Yossi. And that was it. If maybe, you know, the end of his tenure in Nashville is a sign of what's to come, that's a little bit more encouraging. But the Predators did move on from Hines for someone like Andrew Burnett to bolster the offense. So maybe the Wild, the team that needs offense, mm-hmm. should be going for a coach that can actually help in that regard. Yeah, you know, I was making this point with, with Russo a couple of moments before he came on, and that is, you know, were they bit by the goaltending and the penalty kill? Absolutely. But also bit by $15 million of dead cap space. Um, you know, and, and I don't think we can ever look past that and say, yeah, but there's still there should still be enough there there. For the for the Minnesota Wild, um, when you look at this team, I mean the, the the one key piece that isn't there anymore, and I don't want to say it's all about well, you lost Matt Dumba and the whole thing fell apart, but how much did they lose by losing Matt Dumba? Because it really seems like from the beginning of this season, outside of the first night when you know when uh, when we saw the shutout, um, this has been a real this has been a team that's really had a hard time and has really struggled. And as of late, thirteen losses in sixteen games, but you know the big 
piece here is no Matt Dumba. Could he have been that important for the Minnesota Wild? Yeah, I think so, because like this is a team that, you know, is built so much off their blue line. So you lose a top four defender and that's going to be a problem. And you don't give someone else the opportunity to kind of jump up. Like Brock Faber was jumping up and playing more. And that helped without Jared Spurgeon. But you saw someone like Jacob Middleton struggling so much without Spurgeon in the lineup. His game completely fell apart in his own zone, which the Wild couldn't afford to happen. Um, And, you know, Cal and Addison and guys like that that bring something different weren't given an opportunity. So the blue line is that much weaker. And bringing in something like Bogosian, I don't think is the answer to give them a little more pop that they need. So, yeah, losing Dumba is a big problem. But I think the other really pressing problem is, like you said, they have all this dead cap space. So you have to maximize what you have. And instead, they invested it in weird places. You know, extending someone like Marcus Johansson is a choice when he wasn't very good there in his first tenure. And you look at what he did there post-deadline last year. Yes, that line with Erickson and Boldy, they were scoring, but everything below the surface indicated that it wasn't sustainable and that scoring did dry up when it mattered the most. This is a team that needs Mm. a little bit more excitement. You can't completely build your team around two players and hope for the best in Boldy and Kaprizov because if they're not clicking, which they haven't been to start the season, you have a huge problem on your hands. So it just feels like they've made the wrong investments. If you're going to clear up that cap space for Matt Dumba, where are you investing it? And it should be in, you know, young talent and someone who could bring a spark to this team. Even if they decided to keep someone like Nyquist over Johansson, who they acquired at the deadline as well, I think that would have been a step in the right direction. But instead, the Wild kind of just stick to what they know and only what they know, and they need something new and fresh. Yeah. If if you were the Minnesota Wild, if you were Bill Guerin, would you look at this and say, you know what? I know it's kind of jump ball in the Central. I know it's kind of jump ball in the Western Conference, and at the end of it, if we get lucky and get a couple of breaks and clean up a couple of things, we might make it to the playoffs. But even then, what are we going to do? If you're the Minnesota Wild... Would you say to yourself, you know, tonight the Toronto-Florida game is the official quarter mark of the season. Maybe we should be looking at Macklin's celebration instead of looking at the playoffs. What do you think? Why not? Why not? I think the smartest thing a team can do is be honest about what they are and what their true capabilities are. I know getting to the playoffs is a win for many, especially for ownership. That drives revenues. I understand that. But sometimes you need to look at the big picture. The Wild have gotten to the playoffs a lot of times, and they've done absolutely nothing with it. So how can you be better? You can be proactive, be honest about what this team is, maybe move a couple pieces out, and actually retool on the fly. There's a way to make this work. I think the prime example is obviously the St. Louis Blues when they won the Cup. They stepped back that year. They got a couple pieces. They were able to flip them in the summer and position themselves better for the future. I think that there's a way to do that in Minnesota because it's not like they have the most inspiring prospect pool. It's not like they have the most inspiring up-and-coming talent. They should focus on developing Marco Rossi this year, and I don't think they brought in the right coach to do that. They should be focusing on getting Matt Boldy playing back to his strengths <laughs> and figuring out what will make Kaprizov click. Yeah. But you need to do something to shake it up. Otherwise, you're just going to keep repeating the same mistakes over and over again, and it's very clear that their ceiling just isn't where it should be. They are not the contenders of the West. You can try to get into the playoffs and see what happens, just like the Panthers did last year. But how many times can you do that? You know, I I know you watch everything, so I'm going to ask you this question knowing you're going to say, well, yeah, of course I watch it because I watch everything. Did you watch (laughs) Ottawa, Florida last night? Yes, I did have that up last night. There were only a couple games. So, you know, last night was a breeze for me. Okay. It's, yeah. 
Okay, so here, here, here's what I want to ask. What was most entertaining to you last night in that Florida Panthers-Ottawa Senators game? Was it the antics of the Kachuk brothers? Was it the constant cutaways to Grandma Kachuk, which were brilliant? Or was it the call of referee Garrett Rank awarding everybody on the ice misconducts? Oh, if we could only do that in life. If we could only do that in life, Shana, just like indiscriminately hand out misconducts to everybody. What was the most entertaining thing for you from that game last night? I think if we're getting cutaways to any Kachuk, I want it to be Brady Kachuk with Budweiser's hanging out of his back pocket. So until I get more of that, I'm sorry to <laughs> your grandmother, but you can't win. It has to be everybody on the ice gets misconducts, right? Like, what do you say in that moment? And the hand motion he did, as the referee did at the time, it so almost good. looked like it was like, here's the non-official rule book. I have to do something here. I can't just say it. <laughs> it. It was just total chaos in that game. And every everything fell apart. So I guess you wanted to see a spark. I didn't like the Zach McEwen hit in the first place. But to see Brady and Matthew going at it, you know, I think that definitely adds a little bit of spice. But everybody just getting thrown out. The, you know, I think Maurice at one point was counting who was left on the bench. Like that, for me, is what makes the end of a, yeah. a, a very uneven game interesting. It was a wild one. Uh, no doubt that was a lot of fun. Uh, okay, we're heavy on time. Uh, always a pleasure. Uh, great to see Hoodie Life is alive and well uh, in your household <laughs> and love the bookshelf. Uh, love the background and always love your expertise. Thanks as always, Shana, for stopping by. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Shana Goldman from the Too Many Men podcast and also The Athletic. Not a fan of the Minnesota move with uh, John Hines. Uh, nonetheless, Minnesota Wild in action tonight against the St. Louis Blues. We bring in Matt Marchese, uh, senior producer, supervising producer, uh, sometimes fill-in host here, full-time host other well, uh, elsewhere. Um, Shana, not a fan of the John Hines move with Minnesota. What mm-hmm. say you? I'm willing to see this one out. Like, I... I... I, I get what Shayna is saying, and Shayna has a lot of advanced statistics that uh, I'm not smart enough to use. But I look at it as this. I say, if the guy has had success elsewhere, which John Hines has had, and a guy that has, you know, worked well with certain types of players, then that's fine. And there's always the, what do we call it, Jeff? The dead cat bounce. There's always that factor as well yeah, when yeah. you're bringing in a new coach. But my thing is, the NHL coaching carousel is always so cyclical all the time. It's like, oh, this guy was fired here, so we got to bring him in here. And just a rotating cast of characters where I look at what at what Minnesota has there, and I wouldn't say they're a super old team. I wouldn't say they're a super young team, but I feel like they kind of need some different blood in there. Maybe a younger coach with a different mm-hmm. look at their team because I think there is a lot of skill there. Um, they're just not getting the most out of it right now. Are they the most skilled team? No, but they have some high-end offensive players that aren't performing to their capabilities right now. And maybe John Hines is the guy to get the most out of them. But I don't know. I just look at the whole coaching carousel and it just kind of shake my head at it because it's always the same thing. Yeah, but you go with people that you know, right? Like sure. This is true of any business. This is not exclusive to hockey or baseball or basketball or any business. You you go with people that you have a background with, and and Bill Guerin knows them. you know. Like I understand that. Like these are these are significant hires that are going to affect your position as well. So I'd rather bring in people that I know. And Maddie, I'm sure you're the the, the same way. Let, let me ask you about. Oh, actually, let me read you something. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, All-Star Weekend in Toronto is starting to take shape. It is going to be a three-day event. 
there will be a player draft uh, that returns. Elliot and I talked about that previous. Uh, the PWHL will have a three-on-three um, tournament as well. The NHL alumni will award the Man of the Year. But I want to swing back to the player draft. Now, we can all recall Phil Kessel sitting on that mm-hmm. lonely chair as Alex Ovechkin smiles and giggles and takes pictures. Um, so I know there's a sensitivity around hurting people's feelings. Oh, no. And even though hockey is supposed to be a big, rough, and tough sport, we don't want to hurt anyone's feelings when it comes to the all-star player draft. So um, Jay Fresh is one of my favorite Twitter mm-hmm. follows. Yep. I, I love him. Real smart, writes for EP Ringside. He's a really, really smart guy. So he sends me a DM this morning. Uh, and I'll, I'll read it out to you. Let me know what you think. He says, solution to the NHL all-star draft, quote-unquote, last pick awkwardness. Draft goes on with one chair empty and a player, quote, late. Tell the captains not to pick the guy who's not there. Finally, when it comes down to the last selection, Nylander and Phil Kessel rush out and apologize, explaining they were stuck on the TTC. <laughs> Nylander gets picked, everyone's jolly, and no one's feelings get hurt. Nylander and Kessel come out together. Brilliant. Brilliant. I love it. Because there there has to be some element of showmanship in this as well. I mean, here's here's the thing, though, Jeff. I, as you were saying it about hurting Stop. people's feelings, I was thinking about this. I'm going, man. Yeah. We already know that getting players to the all-star game has become a little bit of a hassle. And the fact that it's in and, and it's been. and it's not it's not a slight against Toronto because this is where I, I you know in this area I live and work and all that stuff. But it's certainly not going to Florida yeah. in February. It's certainly not going to Vegas in February. So Vegas. to not only have to be there and then sit there through a whole draft and get picked last, I could imagine the player just seething like not only am I the butt of all the jokes right now, but I have to be here. And I know that's a really cynical way to look at it, but you know that's going through the mind of whoever that player is. Yeah, I I I understand. You know, there was talk about doing a um a rotation for our all-star game just for that just because it is increasingly and increasingly more difficult to uh, uh to to attract players to the all to the all-star event. Yeah. Now, I I don't know, maybe even just naive, but like I'm not a player, but like if I was, like I, I again, I'm not involved in this day to day, so I understand players wanting a break. But when you look back at your career, like aren't these the moments that you always remember? Like these all star games you went to? Like would you like the break and go down south on a sailboat with your buddies or go to the beach? Yeah, probably. But you're not going to look back on that when your career is over and say, Man, I'm I'm really happy that I blew off the All Star weekend so I could do this with my buds. You'd probably look at the All Star and say like, you know what? I was part of a really cool event and I got to go to the All Star game one, two, three, four, five, six times or whatever it ends up being. Like, I, I think the Winter Classic has kind of become that mm-hmm. as well. Like, players uh, may have groused about it before, but now it's on everyone's, you know, uh, before my hockey career is over bucket list. Do you want to play at, a, uh, at an outdoor game, whether it's a stadium series or most specifically a Winter Classic this year? As, uh, it'll be Seattle and Vegas, as we all know. But there was there was talk about creating a rotation of, you know, Florida and I think Dallas was in there, Vegas, Tampa, some of the um, sunnier climbs. 
Maddie, so mm-hmm. it made it a little bit more attractive for players. You know, no offense to some of the uh, the uh, the colder climate cities uh, that house NHL teams, but not that attractive to bring players out uh, to those communities in in February. Now, I don't know where that's at. I don't know how quickly it was shot down. If it's just on the back burner or if it's gone forever, uh, but there was an idea of doing a rotation just to ensure that you create a warm environment. For players, which is you know probably what made you know Sunrise so tasty last year. Yeah, I would. I think it's probably a wise idea. But I, I did want to focus on your point about these are the moments that these players will remember. Like these players are going to be able to go on vacation to those same places once their career is done. And I'm not saying that you know pe- players don't need a week off or whatever. But I agree with you. Like even if you go to one All Star game, you are an all-star forever. Like on your hockey reference page, it's going to say, you know, you are an all-star in this year. And to me, like, I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm looking at this a little too, I'm, I, maybe I'm romanticizing it a little bit too much, but I look at it and say, listen, you're an all-star. I think it's a privilege to to go there. I think it's an honor to go there. And for the guys, maybe like Sidney Crosby that have been there, or actually he hasn't been to too many All-Star games because he's been hurt around that a lot. Okay, a guy like Alex uh, Ovechkin. Once you've been to 10, <laughs> um, maybe they're kind of all the same. But yeah, I, I do agree yeah. with you. I, I think that there's a, a, you know, there's a time where these, and you know what, Jeff? These guys in the moment probably think it's a good idea to not being, you know, to go to the All-Star game or be selected. But I think once the career is done, they're going to look back on and go, I wish that I had done that. That's it. Yeah, I really do. Okay, uh, on that, we'll hit a break. Uh, Maddie will try to get back to you by the end of the program. But joining me next, after the bottom of the hour break, he is the reigning general manager of the year. Uh, he is the general manager of one of the best teams in the NHL. He is Jim Nill, the GM of the Dallas Stars. Uh, and a lot to get to there. It is game day, by the way. The Dallas Stars facing off against Winnipeg Jets, one of... Uh, one of 10 games on the board around the NHL this evening. Uh, a lot to get into with the Dallas Stars. And also, probably a good idea to park a conversation with Jim talking about um, hip surgery and NHLers. Uh, we'll get into that next with the GM of the Dallas Stars, Jim Nill, as America Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360, and wherever you consume those little podcast things. Back in a moment. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, welcome back to the program here Monday to Friday, starting at noon Eastern, 9 Pacific, uh, across the Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on television on Sportsnet 360. And uh, don't look now, but the Dallas Stars are good. Again, don't look now, but the Dallas Stars are a lot of fun to watch. Again, general manager of the Dallas Stars is also the reigning general manager of the year. He is Jim Nill, and he joins me now. Jim, how are you today? I'm doing good, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. Uh, the, the the pleasure is all mine. Uh, first of all, as I, as I look at the Dallas Stars in a big game tonight against the Winnipeg Jets, and that's a, a really tough team, and it's a really tough out, and you know the coach well. And um, you know, how would you describe so far how uh, your season has gone? Like tonight, we're like it's the the, the official quarter mark. Game three twenty eight is Florida and Toronto. So here we are, a quarter of our ways in. How would you describe what you've seen from your team so far this season? You know, I'd like that we've got points. Uh, Probably if you talk to a lot of 
coaches, a lot of GMs, people running their teams, uh, finding consistency is probably the biggest thing. And that kind of goes with probably the first 20 games of the year. Um, we played some good hockey. We've played some good hockey in spurts, two, or, you know, two periods, one period here or there. But to find that consistency night by night, that's what we're kind of looking for. But I'm not going to complain. Uh, we've played some good hockey, too. Mm-hmm. Well, do you find that there's a, a specific time of the year where you, as a manager, have a real handle on who your team is? You know what you have under the hood, what the whole car looks like. Is there like is it now? Is it after Christmas? Like when is it that you can fully say I know who we are? I think once we get to that thirty to forty game mark, going to have a good feel depending on injuries. You know, most teams have. You know, they made additions to their roster to start the year, as young kids or free agent signings, whoever they brought in. And that, that can take time. It takes time for that to settle in. Coaches probably are tweaking some of their systems they used from the prior year, so players have to get used to that. Um, so all those kind of factors kind of come into play where you got to kind of let the dust settle, let players get comfortable with the coaches, coaches come with players and uh, I would say probably that 30 to 40 game mark is probably where you start to get a good feel. Hey, this is who we are. Um, I, I want to ask you about, you know, something with a couple of your players that you um, are intimately equated, uh, uh, equated with, and, and that is hip surgery. Like right now in the NHL, you know, the headline makers so far this season, Nicholas Backstrom, John Klingberg, Pat Kane signs with the Detroit Red Wings. And the common denominator is, you know, coming off of, of, of hip surgery. Uh, Jamie Benn, Tyler Sagan, it, it seemed to take them a while to get back to being who they are. Um, and right now, like specifically Tyler Sagan looks, you know, fantastic. Um, how much of a concern is hip surgery right now for players in their thirties from your point of view, or does it specifically just matter on the player? Like when I say hip surgery over 30, what does Jim Nell think? Well, it's become kind of, you know, it's funny how you, you different times there's, you know, for a while it was, uh, stomach, the groin stomach was the big thing for a while. And, uh, you know, yeah. shoulders were something for a while. And it seems now we're getting into this, this the more of the hips. And you know, we've had internal conversations. I've had doctors, you know, conversations with doctors and specialists. And, you know, why is that? You know, you're seeing it with a lot of goalies also. And, you know, so is it the style of the goalies? Uh, is it young kids playing hockey full-time since the age of 10 that's all they do is play hockey and don't play other sports um, you know so it's a lot of we're trying to figure out why this is but it, it has become the prominent injury now of, of skaters and goalies is is the hips and uh, mm. like i said why is that is it just a trend what's causing this trend um myself i think it's i think a lot of it is we were young kids at a young age they never get off the ice anymore. It's, uh, you know, and that's why we're seeing such skilled players. But is this a, a result of it? Is that they don't play other sports? Their muscles are sports specific just to hockey. Does that affect them? That's a little bit of my theory, but I'm not a specialist on it. But it, it has become a prominent injury. See, I, I can understand it for goaltenders. Like, I, I can understand knees and hips for goalies because, like, we see it's one thing to, to watch, you know, Jake Ottinger play a game and say, wow, he's, he's up and down a lot. And what we don't generally see is all the times that he does that in practice as well. We don't sort of factor that in. 
And you know what hips are like. You know what knees are like. There's a there's a shelf life, and there's only so many times you can do that until you run into trouble. But I'm like you. I I really do wonder about you know why this is with uh, with forwards and defensemen. Uh, and it seems as if you know every couple of weeks it's hip 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 hip. I'm I'm not sure where it comes from. I think your theories is uh, is probably a good one too. But the the thing that I keep coming back to is you know the the you know, the, the the draft you know comes up when the kids are 17, 18 years old, and they need to distinguish themselves to, in order to get drafted in the first place. And to do so, you got to do whatever it takes to to get a high uh, high placing in your draft year. And it's almost like a, a Faustian bargain where you're going to burn yourself out early you're going to pay for it at the back end of the career though no that is that's the you know everybody's everybody's got specialists at 14 years of age now they got you know it's 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 become a business it's a competitive business and uh and and it's not only in hockey we start, we're seeing it in all sports you know it's baseball it's basketball it's what it's it's kind of the one sport athlete it's to be the best at it, you do have to groom yourself to do it, and uh, I understand why people do it. And now are, are these injuries now part of that process? That's something we'll know down the road here as we get more studies done. Um, Jim, I'd like to ask you about the schedule. You know, I'm, I'm always interested in talking to managers about the schedule and what goes into the decisions, um, you know, at the, uh, every season where you sort of put in for, okay, you know, we want to play on these days and, and not these days as well. Um, we understand it from a Canadian point of view and in, in the markets up north, but, you know, for Dallas specifically, like when, you know, when you're sitting down with your, with your group and saying, okay, here's where we want to play, here's when we don't want to play, you know, these dates are important to us, these dates we'd, we'd rather not be uh, in competition. Like, can you walk us through some of the decisions that you make around the schedule? Last week, there was a lot of grousing about, you know, that random Tuesday where there were no games and everyone wondering about how come Vancouver and Calgary and Arizona they're available how come they're not doing a game nationwide on the Wednesday etc and Arizona could do back to back what goes into it from your point of view when you as the manager of the Dallas Stars sits down and says okay let's start cracking on the schedule yeah no, it's something that we dig into very heavily we've got you know first of all just our travel you know we're we're usually two to four hours from anywhere we don't it's not like we have a a train ride we can do everything is our closest rivalries are St. Louis and Nashville those are hour hour to an hour and 45 trips and then after that everything is two to four hours pretty well for us so it's a major major hurdle for us the problem is and this is where to be fair to the NHL and the schedule makers is you know we have one of the busiest sort of rinks uh, in the U.S. Right? North America you know we have not only ourselves we have the Dallas Mavericks and then we got we're a big city that brings in big big concerts and so there's only so much time only so many spots available and um, you know we used to try to stay away from too many dates early in the you know in October and that and hit the road just because of you know we have to deal with you know bringing into our world no secret Dallas Cowboys you know, they're, they're a big market in Dallas yep. but we also have college yep. football is huge in Dallas and high school football is huge in Dallas and so in the past we've kind of stayed away from Friday Saturday Sundays early in October but we've got away from that now because you know we've got a good team we're relevant now and it's less of a concern attendance wise so a lot of those different factors come into play you know not only with us but you know you look at LA Kings they've got uh, they had three basketball teams there for a while and, and the Kings playing and you know so there's, there's markets out mm-hmm. there that 
there really it comes down to your availability of your venue and that dictates a lot and you add that in being a schedule maker trying to figure out 15 to 20 of those teams that have basketball teams concerts and hockey how do you fit in the schedule and it's a tough process yeah Uh, how how much i mean how much consulting do you do with your players or if if at all i I don't know i I ask out of ignorance oh yeah no we i I talked all the time they they, you know they know it and you know our biggest problem is, is because of our travel is finding practice time you know we get in We'll come back home from a, a road trip. You know, say if we're coming back from Winnipeg, or we're playing Winnipeg tonight, or Minnesota. You know, we're, we're going to Calgary after this and going back home, and we're staying overnight on after Thursday after the game. So we're flying all day Friday, and we got an afternoon game on Saturday against Tampa Bay at one o'clock. So you're not practicing Friday, and you're playing afternoon game. So it's really hard to fit in your practice times. So that's probably the the toughest part for teams, especially the Western Conference teams, is your is finding the proper balancing the practice time versus the rest. What's most important, and uh, that's where we really consult with our players, you know, concerning the rest uh, and the practice time, trying to balance that off. Mm-hmm. Uh, in conversation with Jim Nell, the general manager of the Dallas Stars, um, who's popped for you so far? Has there been anyone on your team that you've looked at and you've said, you know what? Better than expected so far this season. Anyone? Well, I would say, first of all, Matt Deshane. You know, we signed him as a free agent. Now, it's no secret. We know he's a good hockey player. But I've been around a long yep. time. And usually when you, you bring in a player that's been somewhere, and been the go-to guy somewhere from another team, it's a major adjustment. You know, he's, he's got a family. He's got kids. It's a change of pace for them. You're coming to a team trying to fit in. And it can take time. You know, we lived with Joe Pavelski. Uh, and we brought Joe in, and that was the, the year of the COVID. And for the first four months, he was struggling. And it wasn't just because it wasn't hockey. It was more of his family and that, trying to get them settled in and, you know, trying to fit in on a new team. And uh, then we hit COVID. He got a reset. And then the bubble he took right off and never looked back since. So same thing with Matt Deshane. I was a little bit concerned. Uh, I've seen it happen. Is it going to take him a month, two months, whatever? Took him about four games, and boom, he took off. And really, his line's been driving our team. They've been outstanding. Uh, so he'd be the one guy that really has He's changed our team, what we thought he'd be, and it didn't, but the surprise is it didn't take him as long as I thought it would. Uh, in conversation with Jim Nill, um, from a general manager's point of view, uh, I, I do wonder, and again, this would all have to be negotiated with the Players Association, etc. And I know the players are resistant to, to change and players don't like to be told what to do and specifically don't like to be told what to wear. Jim, you know that you were uh, a player once upon a time as well. Um, but where is Jim Nill at on neck guards right now? Well, I, I think uh, players should use it. I, I know if I was still playing, I'd, I'd, I'd be, I'd at least give it a try. I think it's important. You know, we've, unfortunately, a lot of these things take a tragic accident for them to happen. You look back, you know, go back years ago, a lot of people probably listening to the show didn't know that there used to be no netting around, around the back glass and rinks. And, uh, people yep. were worried about, well, you won't be able to see the puck. The fans will be able to see the puck. And uh, unfortunately, a tragedy happened there. And, we finally said we got to try this, and now we've never looked back. And I, I, the neck guards are kind of like that. It's you grew up with it as a kid wearing it, and like all of us, we like to feel light and 
don't want to be told what to wear and all this stuff. Same thing with helmets. And finally, we put it in place, and now everybody does it. Uh, we're implementing it in the American Hockey League, hoping that as the players come up, they'll start to wear it. Same thing in juniors. You know, kids are going to start wearing it in junior full-time now. So I think it's going to become part of our just just, just something you wear, but it's just going to take some time like, like other things do. You know, no different than when we mm-hmm. finally put helmets. You had to wear helmets, and uh, it just takes time. But uh, I, I'm totally for it. I support the players. Same with the wrist guards and the uh, uh, the leggings you know that they wear because uh, you know we're seeing just yeah. so many cuts in that these skates are so so sharp and the speed of the game it's just so fast you know, things happen so fast yeah uh, I, I think you're bang on about that unfortunately sometimes it does take a tragedy l- l- let me end on I'm not sure if you had a chance to watch the uh, the Florida Panthers and, and Ottawa Senators game last night but there was a funny moment at the end where, where referee Garrett Rank you know we know what he was trying to do just calm everybody down you know there was fights and scrums and the penalty boxes full uh, and he gave everybody misconducts everybody on the ice gets a misconduct get everybody off the ice try to calm the game down now you played in an era where misconducts and you know, line brawls and at times bench clearing brawls, um, you know, weren't anything special. Like these things happened in the game. Um, but did you have you ever seen an official throw everybody on the ice out all at the same time? <laughs> well, I haven't in a while, but I thought the referee did a, the referee did a great job with it. I thought he handled the right way. Uh, back in my era, yeah. it did happen quite a bit, uh, but I thought he did a good job handling it. It was starting to get carried away. He calmed the, he took the temperature down in the game, which was important, and, and I thought he thought he did a great job. Yeah. It was it was a funny call. Um, listen, on that, we'll wrap. You have a game tonight. Oh, really quick, um, just a, a quick thought on the Winnipeg Jets here. I mean, listen, you know Rick Bonus very well um, with the Dallas Stars for a number of years. Uh, your thoughts on what we've seen so far from, and it's great that, that Rick's back because that means that his wife is fine. Um, your thoughts on what we've seen from Winnipeg so far this season? Well, they're a good team. They're, they're very similar to us. Uh, I think uh, Kevin Shable Day off and Rick Bonus have done a great job. They've... Uh, a lot like our team, uh, similar records because of it. Uh, you know, Rick came to us, put in a great dis- defensive structure. You're not going to win in this league without uh, a good foundation. He's put that into the team here, much like he did with us. Got a great goalie. We got a great goalie. Defense is solid, and they've got some high-end forwards and and a good mix of younger guys and, and some veteran guys. So uh, they're uh, they're the real deal. They've been playing as good as anybody uh, in the league. You know, I've been. I'm watching lots of games and stuff, and I think them and L.A. are two of the most consistent teams right now. I think they've both done a great job. Yeah, I mean, L.A. looks family. You can make the argument they might be the best team in the league right now. They're they're that good. Um, Jimmy, have an excellent team, and it's one that's fun to watch, uh, and you always answer when we call. Always appreciate it, Jim. You be well. Good luck tonight uh, against the Winnipeg Jets, and good luck the rest of the season. Much appreciated. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, you take care. Bye-bye. He is uh, Jim Nill, the general manager of the Dallas Stars, tonight in action against the Winnipeg Jets. And it's going to be a pretty intriguing night around the NHL this evening. And again, tonight, the NHL season hits the quarter mark, and that is the Maple Leafs-Florida Panthers game, the game 328. Uh, the Islanders and the Devils. Are you concerned about the Devils? Like, how concerned is everybody here about the New Jersey Devils? We thought they had crossed, you know, crossed over last season and every, all the losing was in the rearview mirror. I know there's been injuries. 
uh, most notably to their top two players, uh, Jack Hughes and Nico Heischer. But nonetheless, 9-9-1. Nine, nine, and one. They're facing off against the New York Islanders tonight. So we'll watch that one early. The Florida Panthers coming off that game last night, a very emotional game and a big win uh, against the Ottawa Senators. Uh, they'll face off against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, the Carolina Hurricanes facing off against the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, who thought the Flyers were going to be in this spot at the other uh, quarter mark of the season? It is game one tonight of the John Hines era with the Minnesota Wild as they face off against the St. Louis Blues. St. Louis, to me, might be the most interesting team. No, I mean, and they qualify that. Not the most interesting team, but the one team that I really can't figure out the most. How about that? And maybe it's a comment more on me than anything else. Um, but at times, this team looks dynamic, and you start to see what this team is going to look like over the next five years. And then other times, you say to yourself, yeah, they really need to commit to a rebuild. Uh, it's St. Louis facing off against the Minnesota Wild. The Pittsburgh Penguins take on the Nashville Predators. Uh, just talked to Jim Nill a couple of moments ago. Dallas Stars facing off against the Winnipeg Jets. You know, when we're talking about the Winnipeg Jets, eyes on Kyle Connor, uh, who legit could win the Rocket Richard this year. Uh, Mark Shifley seems rejuvenated uh, as well. Uh, Cole Perfetti, I try to go out of my way to talk about as well. And that line with Nick Ehlers and Vlad Nemestikov is exceptional. Uh, the Vegas Golden Knights face off against the Edmonton Oilers. This is going to be like the real test, right? I know Vegas is on the back-to-back last night, losing overtime against the Calgary Flames. So maybe a little bit of advantage Edmonton here. But this is Washington is one thing. You know, beating them, beating Anaheim is another thing. This is the big test for the Oilers. Are they really back? We'll find out tonight as they face off against the uh, Vegas Golden Knights. Tampa takes on the Arizona Coyotes. It is the Kraken and the Blackhawks. The Vancouver Canucks take on those Ducks that I mentioned a couple of moments ago. All right, uh, that's enough of me. All right, you've had enough of me in your day. Going to give way to the rest of the programming day. We'll be back in 22 hours. Talk about tonight. Talk about tomorrow. Merrick Show across the Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360, and wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for giving me part of your day today, wherever. Thank you. Back tomorrow.